Welcome to Keeping Up With Data. Keeping Up With Data is the podcast that keeps data enthusiasts up to speed with what is happening in the data world. We bring in the leading minds from the data industry to talk all things career, news, embarrassing stories, failures and successes. So something really important for us here at Precision Sourcing is mental health. It's something we've been focused on a lot over the last year or so. And we're lucky enough to have partnered with the Black Dog Institute. And we're going to be doing a lot of events with them this year. A lot of our events, money will be going towards them. And they're out there aiming to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. So if you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link in the bio on this podcast. And you'll be seeing a lot more information about Black Dog over the next year. All right. Welcome to Keeping Up With Data. I'm Emily Nota. I'm James Ross. And here we have Kate Cook from the Lumery. So exciting to have you on the podcast today. But we'll throw it to you and you can introduce yourself. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me as well. Um, Yeah, my name is Kate Cook. I am currently a head of analytics at The Lumery, which is a marketing and technology consultancy. Uh, We focus on helping our organizations quantify the effectiveness of their marketing strategies across attribution, personalization, experimentation, um, all things customer data, consent, you know, addressable audiences, all of that. Um, and so, yeah, we sort of, as an analytics team, operate within kind of cu- customer data management, uh, cleanliness, integrations that are required, collection, uh, but also absolutely the data science and analytics uh, that's required to help quantify the impact of certain decisions that we might make, whether that be organizational, investment in kind of infrastructure and tech, or actual kind of customer experiences that we hope to execute in market. So. It's very much what I would say is a, a kind of um, broad role uh, with a lot of variety and um, a lot of different new problems to solve every day. That sounds like uh, like I'm already kind of sold on like the energy that you've just given <laughs> like through the intro. Like, can I work there? No, just kidding. Um, well, tell us more about that because obviously like you've been there, what, two, maybe three years and you probably have seen a bit of a journey from start to now where you are in the head of analytics and how your team sort of grow and how you've grown as a person, like how did that sort of evolve? You can maybe even take us further back from your experience before the Lumery. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, it's kind of an interesting one. Uh, my background, I started as like a trained marketer. So I did a Bachelor of Business in Marketing and uh, started in digital marketing. So um, I kind of liken it to the idea that I collected a lot of scout badges across a lot of different <laughs> executions. So I literally went, I want to try Google AdWords, and I want to try Facebook, and I want to try other things, and um, sort of tried, yeah, social media, digital ads. Um, I did a bit of like PR and that kind of thing, and then moved down like the generalist marketing path. But I kind of maybe four and a bit years ago uh, found myself at an organization that was ASX listed. Um, run very much as a kind of marketing and sales driven organization, real estate company. So very much like anyone who knows those like MQL, SQL, like that is the funnel. Um, And uh, at the time they'd given me the chance to move into like an acting head of marketing role, which was way beyond my years, but I was so excited to take it on. And to say that I was eaten alive in that boardroom is an absolute understatement. I was like, (laughs) oh, my God. Um, I, like, really understood the value of, you know, being able to quantify and articulate uh, with some kind of statistical rigour the effectiveness of the decisions that we were making through not 
maybe doing it so effectively the first time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that kind of led me down the path of, you know, being interested in not just quant, but how quant and qual come together, working really closely with our sales teams to get a lot of that on the ground insight that was going to point to where we should be looking kind of from a quantitative quantitative perspective, uh, what data we were collecting and the attributes that we needed to then activate on those meaningful experiences. And I just, I think, created or had this, you know, why inside of me that was then burning of this, like, I never want anyone else to ever feel that way. And I wanted data literacy um, to be kind of accessible for everyone. And I was like, I'm Mm going to be the data translator. Like, I'm just going to focus in and zero in on marketing analytics. So, yeah, started working for myself for a while, pretty much doing largely that, lots of corporate training and support to businesses that I was working on one-on-one. And then the Lumery reached out and said, hey, like, we're looking at building out our analytics function. Uh, We want uh, Mm. to help bridge the gap and bridge the void between, you know, people not understanding data and but wanting to reach their customers and create meaningful experiences for them. Um, Would you be interested in helping us build out this function? And I was like, hell yeah. Sounds like my (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's kind of perfect. And then um, I have yeah the incredible opportunity now to work with and hire people that are in many ways you know so much more phenomenally um, smarter than I am and teach me things every day. But I hope that and I know that um, I can support with that kind of like business acumen level of mm-hmm. like why we need to do what we do and and really work with our team to translate. Um, the value of what analytics brings and how we can actually get, you know, a CEO who has very little time and very little desire sometimes to understand why the Z value is important to yes. uh, to to make that right and correct decision, interpret it well, interpret it simply and like guide their teams, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I heard translate like a lot in that, like sort of, you know, what you just said there. So we'll definitely touch on that in a minute because I feel like that's going to be a really pivotal part of this podcast. But more from like, I suppose, your transition into what was an analytics lead, well, initially at the Lumerie and prior to that, quite like traditional marketing. And you, you mentioned a few different avenues of marketing. Like, how did you go about that change and how did it feel? Because it is a big question for everyone in the market looking at like marketing or maybe even any other field really and moving into data like how you do it how was the transition transition for you and so forth oh that's such a good question um I mean there's the really kind of tactical tools and things around um upskilling personally and there's so much available paid and free online so kind of going down you know the google cloud architecture um, kind of certifications and like all of the the opportunities that google and kind of facebook blueprint or meta blueprint sort of provide um to get you a little bit of a taste for data science and data science concepts um, and I also leaned a lot into data camp um, in my early career, mm-hmm. especially in trans trans um, transferring over to the Lumery, where I went from, I guess, prior to that, working in more small to medium-sized businesses. And now we very much exclusively work with enterprise, which is a totally different beast. Um, same, same problems, but just very different scale, um, very different organizational structures, um, and a lot of that kind of stakeholder management piece. But I would say, like, the challenge for me has actually been in trying to get enough um, of the technical understanding um, that 
enables me to ask the right questions of my team so that they can translate up to me while still being able to then also learn everything from a enterprise perspective of what is important from a data perspective. So like they're going to be like I'm often I'm going to say translate again, but like tasked <laughs> with taking what we're doing yeah. to then back to our like C-suite um, sponsors who need to more understand, um, you know, consent and legislation and like how do we uphold the kind of governance principles in and around the the great work that we're doing from a reporting perspective um, mm -hmm. or, you know, algorithmic kind of um, pieces of data science that we might want to execute to build personalization um, opportunities for customers too. So, yeah, I guess for me, like if anything, the challenge has just been consistent and constant learning and a great passion for it. Like I don't think anyone could go through a transition in their later career mm. without just knowing that there's a lot of work to be that's involved in that. Um, so yeah. constant ongoing learning, but also conversations um, as well, like learning from others and knowing how to ask the right questions to get the best answers too. Yeah, that's a great one. I feel like it's such an underrated skill being able to ask the right questions. Like even I find you probably see this in interviews, like the feedback from a lot of hiring is like, oh, they were, you know, great and great people, but they just didn't ask the right questions or they didn't listen properly to articulate like answers and then fire back questions. So it's an art, I find anyways. Um, you probably find that with data governance. and Yeah, because a lot of it is people driven. So it's even, it's just like the basic skill of just active listening. Because I think what people do a lot of times, they'll think of the question in their head and then you're just prepared to ask that and you're not really listening to what's being said and you can look like a fool. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh God. And then I feel like with the, you've kind of touched on this before we jumped on the call, but like moving from, uh, well, like a later career shift, um, you need to be passionate about it. You're obviously very passionate about it. It comes through the screen um but imagining like all the sort of bits and pieces in play you've probably had a bit of a challenge with kind of moving into what would look like a technical analytics role from a marketing role and there's you know bits and pieces around imposter syndrome and everything like that so talk us through that part because it's a big one and you've probably you've obviously overcome it to a degree but you know yeah I mean I will not lie. I think the first, I really struggled with the shift in title and identity initially without feeling like I necessarily had the technical skill set that came with what I perceived that title to come with. So I entered as an analytics lead, which was certainly, I mean, designed even from the organization to be like, we need someone who is leading the function, leading the value, leading the way that we drive and, you know, coordinate the right resources, right roles, all aligned to solve a problem. So like that was all there. But I think um, I think the the best way to maybe describe it is it depended on what room I was in. So if I went to, you know, a room in which I'm talking to my peers, I feel like, yeah, cool. I have invested a lot of time and energy into learning the art of experimentation and like the statistical method and like why we need to apply these things. But I was quite out of practice and my role didn't demand um a lot of time spent on practicing that stuff. So it's almost like you don't want to come across as though you're just um, giving lip service to concepts. Mm. Um, and exactly what you just said, James, about actively listening. I think what helped me get around some of that imposter syndrome was to just move into a place where I stopped, stopped expecting myself to be the one to know everything and to instead start operating in a place where I could 
be in a floating supporting role to help um, enable my team and connect them with whatever they needed to get their job done, um, believe that they had the right approach and if they and to make it really psychologically safe for them to be able to work with me and say to me, hey, look, I'm leaning outside of myself right now. I feel like I need somebody to cross-check this. I need some technical mentorship and expertise. And I'd be like, great, I'm going to go find you that now. Um, and to know that it's not necessarily on me to be everything to everybody. Yeah, that's hard in the leadership role, I imagine. Like, you kind of feel like you want to help in all avenues, but you really have to learn how to delegate properly and know where your strengths lie and know where other people's strengths lie. So then you're not like, like obviously overwhelming yourself, but also giving people half of what they probably need from a like knowledge perspective and attention and presence and all that kind of stuff. So that's good. It's a good nugget. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing um, which I guess we've built over time uh, is we've really created this sort of subculture within our team at the Lumery, um, which we call like the art of wolfing, which I'm sure many people have heard of before. But um, yeah, we call ourselves a wolf pack. We have ex like we have our own sort of team charter that we hold each other accountable to, and the art of like throwing stones at each other's code as at each other's methods has just become part and parcel of our everyday it's not no one's kind of afraid of feedback we welcome it we welcome challenge um, and we want to get it to a point where we have you know thrown enough stones ripped it thrown it to the wolves um to be ripped <laughs> apart uh before we can stand in front of someone and be like no this is wholly defensible and we have a clear understanding of why we did we made all of the decisions that we made um, so it's interesting, yeah, to hear you say that, like, I can be the facilitator and the enabler of that without necessarily having to be the one that's throwing the most stones at anything. I can make sure that the right people are connected. And I guess I see that as being my premise. Yeah, that's like amazing. And then you obviously like people kind of don't realize that that's a huge skill in itself, being the connector and the enabler, because often what they like, you know, supporting roles, like I feel like in We've experienced a lot of layoffs, redundancies, all that stuff. A lot of those supporting roles were the first to go, but actually they're, they're some of the most pivotal because, like you said, there's a lot of different like skill sets, technical people versus business-facing, strategic, et cetera, et cetera, that like when they don't have someone who's able to connect you all, they kind of don't really know how to do it effectively. And then obviously the business in the end doesn't get the right outcome. So it's a really Absolutely. crucial yeah, absolutely. And I think to that point too, there's been a number of instances where people in our teams that act in quite a technical role, mm. it's quite difficult to move from a very, we, we use like H, an HBDI framework, which is kind of all about like the different styles and the different way that like our brains kind of interpret and um, how we communicate a value and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. But we talk about kind of the blue aspect being very kind of detail oriented, technical, logical, pragmatic, which um, a lot of kind of data and analytics work and engineering work requires. But then to move, like once you've been working on code all day, to then be expected to jump into a room with a C-suite and explain to them why, like to move up, it almost feels like you're moving out into like five different layers above to try to yes. then reconnect. And I think that that's a mistake actually to not recognise that you need both skills because um, our teams, it takes, if you don't have that chance to win someone over quickly and efficiently, like I, I use that example of, you know, the C-suite don't have a lot of time 
really and won't give analytics the time of day, then they end up erring on the side of making gut decisions again mm. and not using data to actually be data informed. So, yeah, I feel like obviously I would challenge that and I have a very known bias to do that. But, um, <laughs> I mean, we see the value of having both, I guess. That would be such a shock. I just, I've never thought about it like that, actually, from like a data perspective. Yeah, the mindset. Well, because yeah. that's what people always talk about when you're in the office, those are the days we get to brainstorm with people and it's like, you know, more of a stop-start day. And when you want to get like, you know, eight hours of coding done, you go, you work from home because you get in your own zone. So I can imagine and say you get like 4.30 and suddenly you got the last half hour of your day and you have to go talk to C-suite after being coding all day, you would not be in the right mindset at all. A hundred percent. And sometimes like our team will um, have instances where like that's required of them for whatever reason um, and they just kind of feel like oh, I'm not set up to thrive in that environment because to expect me to wear all of these different hats and to context switch so frequently um, it just it it doesn't result in team members feeling like they're able to be applying themselves in the best way to achieve their best because that it feels shit when we, so I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. Yeah, you can. Yeah, like that does not feel great um, if we don't feel like we can literally bring our best and um, leave a day, or at least for me, like it's always about like going to bed like every night and kind of going, did I sort of lean into my values, lean into my strengths, lean into the growth areas of opportunity that I want to build for me and others to constantly feel like you are not able to do that I don't know, um, is kind of what makes teams tired and burnt out and looking for the next thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm a really big believer in we should all get to wear each of those hats. If you want to be able to be a translator and have a moment in time where you get to do that, you should have that chance. Um, and, yeah, only then ever sticking to doing the code and never having that opportunity is not good either. So it's like trying to find those right balance, that right balance for the individual um, and for the kind of project outcome that we're aiming for. Yeah, that's so true. It's kind of like reminds me of that. Like, I don't know if you guys both had this, but when you're a kid and your parents were like, you're just, you're obviously complaining about something, whether it be going to swimming lessons and you've been like five, six times a week and you're absolutely exhausted, but you're just taught to push through. And like, it might just be that you're focused on, I don't know, let's say swimming and surf lifesaving, for example, but you've got school all day. You can't jump in and out of those things like if you've got so much going on in one area and it makes you feel like burnt out and like, I don't know, you, like you said, you're not at your best, but you're taught to be able to push through that and be resilient. So I suppose that like, where is the line? Like, where can you, like, do you push through that to a point or do you, for example, for what you just said being like the executive level stuff, do they go into that and actually experience those kinds of mistakes or do they avoid them and know how to manage them? better do you know what I mean I don't know if that's really rounded that's out well yeah that's such a good question I I'm a big believer that like everyone needs to be able to like fail and fail safely in a kind of yeah. safe environment if you're not ever failing you're not really innovating hard enough really yeah. like you're kind of playing it too safe and I think in the context of why people come to us and the work that we do at the Lumery, we're really sitting on the cutting edge of that like we're working with enterprises that are kind of like um, we're either sort of fixing core capability, the safe piece, or it's like we've got an experimentation budget. What can you do <laughs> with this yeah. um, if we were to kind of do something crazy? And that requires a level of risk. You've got to obviously quantify what that potential upside could be or what would happen if we failed, but um, that failure is kind of inevitable. And um, 
I think it needs to be in order to make enough big bets to know that you're eventually winning. Like mm. um, it, it's no one kind of piece is going to save it all. But I guess mm. coming back to your original sort of analogy, um, <laughs> when do you push through? When do you kind of, um, I guess, hold enough space for you to reach out? Is that mm-hmm. kind of? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I think I don't ever want anyone, at least in my team, to feel resentful um, or to feel like they're coming to work and gr- grinning and bearing it and pushing through mm. without knowing what it means for them. So there's some kind of people in the team who, like I have, you know, professional development conversations with them and it's sort of like you're really in your early career, that kind of concept of like I'm going to push through I would like it's up to you, but I would encourage you to do that because while like you're young, you've got the energy, um, there's not like so many competing priorities potentially in your life at that moment, then like I think that's a really great opportunity to go, okay, I've got it in Mm -hmm. the tank or even if I'm feeling a little bit tired, I know that I might not have the opportunity later in life to do that. But then there's going to be also moments where you just kind of go, for some people work isn't everything and like... Yeah, I don't know. I would, like, can I ask you the question? How would that you decide to do that? Oh, my God. No, it's really hard. The context of recruitment is horrible because you just have to keep going and more. you need more all the time, more, more, more. And it's like sales, isn't it? So it's it's kind of where I was coming from. I was like, where do you draw the line? And, like, you've got pushed through or you have to, you know, take the space and recharge, like you said. But I feel like there's no real one-size-fits-all. Do you know what I mean? Like it's for everyone as individual and like unique and that's probably what you've kind of drawn on there and obviously your team sounds quite unique and how you've sort of created it and the framework that you went through to be able to hire different people based on like I suppose their strengths and then as a collective you all work together to have one common goal. Like, yeah, I guess like in hearing you talk about that too, I think there's probably an aspect of like flow. So mm-hmm. um, there have been absolutely instances in which certain team members have gone, um, I can do this kind of work if I have to, but it's not <laughs> my favourite kind of work to be doing. And mm-hmm. I'm probably far more efficient at doing these kinds of tasks because I love them so much. We sort of talk about that framework of translator, operator, creator. Um, There's a member in my team who purely just wants to build Lego, like would not be interested at all in having to articulate the output of that report, of that model to anyone. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that's required. Sometimes we can only put one person, we can resource someone on the project, and it's probably a great skill even to to force yourself or to encourage yourself to lean into that, to have a little bit of breadth. Um, And, you know, we have those conversations about that kind of long-term opportunity beyond the Lumery maybe one day as well, Mm -hmm. um, when it's kind of key to have some of those foundational skills. But, like, wherever possible, like, if he was to do that all the time, he'd probably feel really burnt out and like resentful. Mm. And so there's an aspect of balancing that to be like, hey, like I want to push you to encourage you to build the skill set because I think that that's actually what's best for you and certainly what's required for us at the Lumery. And there's a balance there too. That, that Like I can't just create your dream role. It's got to be <laughs> like also what we need and what the client needs. But um, I think we ch- I try to do the best job I can within the parameters that I have. Like we're also at the mercy of what problems need to get solved. Um, but try to do the best I can to fit people to the work. And 
so that that way there is that sense of flow and um, people are excited to come to work and they can bring mm -hmm. that passion and enthusiasm, which is so contagious. Uh, and in a consultancy-like environment too, I feel like really important for us because we're often dealing with a bunch of people who like aren't that excited about data and my job is literally <laughs> to just be their data cheerleader <laughs> and hype girl. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you kind of need a, a like, um, what's the word, push yourself and sort of touch the hot pan a few times but not at the expense of your well-being and health and obviously your like strengths like if you know where your strengths lie then you know kind of where the direction is that you can lead yourself or people can lead you totally and actually like a horror story on my side like going back to the kind of key sort of imposter syndrome moment of making that first transition i had a moment um early on where i fainted in a boardroom in a pitch because I was pushing myself so hard. I was traveling um, from, I was living in Brisbane at the time and flew down for the pitch. Don't, I think I was running around and doing everything to finalize the pitch deck to make it as, as great as it could possibly be. I'm practicing in the mirror. I had so, put so much pressure on myself for it to be perfect and then didn't eat anything. Don't think I had much water, got into the room, got asked one question. Hey, where'd you get that data point from? Was something. And I, my nervous system just shot through, shot into my throat and I fell down. Oh, my God. That's so intense. So <laughs> like, I, maybe that's where, like, part of my management methodologies come from, where it's kind of like I expect you all to be high-performance athletes and high-performance athletes also know when they need to look after themselves and I know mm. what happens when you don't. So. Um, you have to find the right balance or um, you won't even, you know, continue to maintain and, and keep really great talent, which is equally as important too. Like people and work um, can be in, in harmony. <laughs> I, yes. I <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, it sounds like you've made like an amazing, an amazing culture and like you lead by example and from the like law almost like with them like you're on you're alongside them like, which is amazing how did how did you go about building out your team and building out that culture obviously we've talked about a few bits and pieces but like how you hire basically ah oh. uh i always start with that um explanation that we have yeah translators operators creators that typically um you'll need to likely sit across each role so um, depending on the nature of the uh, clients that we're potentially hiring for. Sometimes we do have quite like fixed retainer-based work and you'll have kind of a home client and then you might have the opportunity mm. to do some projects and that kind of thing. But like everyone has a core skill set um, typically. And um, yeah, we've kind of got, got data scientists um, uh, who kind of leans into some high-level engineering. We work closely with our um, dev uh, ops team to that kind of do a lot of the integration work and they work really closely together but we don't kind of have a dedicated engineer that would probably be um, on the books coming soon um we have like other kind of analysts as well who um you know vary depending on what kind of work needs to get done so the like i'm largely just going to sit with this client get extracts out of excel and um you know produce you powerpoint static reports because the nature of the program that's what it demands it just needs like a, a powerpoint report very consulting style um this is the area of, of opportunity go a business case it up which is very much that kind of operator translator i guess mm -hmm. um and then your team our teams that are like building out um dashboards working alongside hand in glove 
uh, the client's data teams um, and we're just augmenting them to be like, cool, you've got the structures, you've got the processes, how do we jump in and add a bit of value? Um, so I guess like I talk them through that framework, ask um, obviously both hard skills, core skills, like, you know, languages, um, programming languages, um, I guess expertise across different vendors and that kind of thing. We talk through all of that. But then for me, it's always about um, where are the areas of opportunity that really light you up? Like I will always hire more for attitude over mm. ability because I know that if there's a desire to go, MarTech's really interesting, customer experiences are really interesting, I'd love to get into this platform. I love tinkering around with tools and technology. Um, I really want to be able to build something that's in the generative AI space and really like pushing the needle for enterprises to start looking at more innovative concepts. Like there's kind of a role for all of that at the Lumery and I'm really lucky in that sense that um, we have so much variety, which is the benefit of working in a consultancy versus client side, right? There's pros and cons to either way, but um, I'm looking for people who have variety, who have a perspective, like um, they're doing their own research, they're doing their own reading and they can come to me and say, I would froth being able to get a project like this. That's probably the the one thing that would make me go, okay, cool, you're probably our people. <laughs> so, so everyone needs to use the word froth and they're into music. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes. Yeah. No, that's so true though. Attitude's important. Like we always get that like feedback, don't we, from like interviews and other clients. Yeah, because if you've got the right attitude, like you'll learn any of the skills you need to because you want to and you're really keen to learn, mm. especially like, manage like yourself you'll invest in them so it's kind of feeds in it like a positive way mm. and i think you can hire like a 10 out of 10 technically but if they're not right attitude they just want to kick their feet up they're not going to be a great fit to the team it can change them around and change dynamics totally and actually a really good example of that my last hire um came into the team and was sort of like i like within his first six weeks like i know this sounds crazy but the thing that i forgot that i would be doing is like the consulting part of it. It's like I knew I'd be like doing a lot of reporting, building all the dashboards, like sitting in big group. Like I didn't realize that I'd have to like talk to the clients. <laughs> He's like, but I really enjoy talking to the clients and like problem solving with them. And I'm like, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so yeah, attitude's kind of key for that, right? Because yeah. if people's eyes glaze over and there's no buy-in, it doesn't go anywhere. There's no real value. For sure. I feel like that's a key to like, Success, the most successful teams I've seen anyway is all based on like obviously foundational knowledge and technical the technical land but actually what the most big and overarching piece is the attitude that they hire for so totally. you're doing it right I hope so I mean <laughs> I mean you should talk to the team but um <laughs> I think there's an aspect aspect too of you know like we'll absolutely invest so beyond yes there's absolutely I expect everybody to be doing their own learning um, if anyone has any real desire to for growth. So that's just a foundational thing that I would always be looking for. Um, probably not really. I'm sure there's organisations that that look for people that just want to turn up, you know, have, you know, it's not even about work-life balance. It's about passion, actually, because mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like work if you're like, I'm reading about this at night because I'm just so interested in it. And there's no expectation to. It doesn't mean that you have to. But those typically tend to be the people that we end up hiring. Um, they're hard yeah. to find. They're really hard to find. I um I had a call with someone the other day. Well, yeah, because it's just like it's not the norm, unfortunately. It isn't. Um, like you don't, especially in the data space. Anyway, a we're talent short. B it's like competitive and like 
I don't know, maybe we just, people don't get quite choosy when it comes to consulting and agency environments, you know. So the other other day I had a um, conversation with someone and it was the first time in ages that I've heard this. They were like, oh, um, you know, I don't want to move yet, but um, like I'm open to roles, but I just, I just really love what I do. Like if I get asked to work for an hour or extra half hour, like to me, that doesn't even matter. I'm just so excited. And they just like said that. And I was like, that's just never, ever been spoke. I've never heard that from someone before. They usually like get me out of consulting. Like I hate it. <laughs> My God, that's so yeah. interesting. Well, I guess th- that's also an interesting thing to me personally, because obviously like the context of this conversation, even like you're talking to someone who, proactively went and did a career change like mm. pretty late in my career so I guess if I had someone like that working for me I would be the first person to champion what their personal needs are like as in this probably isn't right for you like do, if you're not loving what you do like we spend far too long in our lives now it's getting very deep but like we spend <laughs> far too long working so Mm. I want that personally to be something that if nothing else is at least quite fulfilling and the people that I'm working with make it really enjoyable and like the culture of what we have together and being in the trenches and like doing something hard but pushing through and getting an outcome like I live for that stuff so yeah I mean I think that's okay it's okay to kind of be a bit of a filter for like maybe you're for us or maybe you're not for us and maybe that's controversial but I no, know. I think that's healthy. <laughs> yeah. That's so healthy. It is. I think the way we, like I always view it, is that like you'd have the worst day in the world, but as long as like you enjoy the people you work with, you'll get through it. Like, yeah. It's all those like everyone always talks about like that Monday itis where you wake up in the morning. The amount of times where like, I really don't want to work, but I like people I work with, so I'll go <laughs> show up to work. Exactly, exactly. And you know, like um, to have someone else pull you through it too, like mm-hmm. as in, oh, I hate that I'm having to have this conversation, I have a hard conversation I have to have. Or even honestly, like there's going to be contexts where we think something's really important and we're presenting it to a group of people that just don't really care. Like sometimes mm-hmm. that happens too. And we're really playing the long game of trying to enable them with data and and build up that interest. And yeah, I, I get asked that a lot, which is like, then how can you bring like the hype and the energy and the passion when like people just aren't really bought into what you're doing? Um, but I think to your point, it's really then about the people that you're doing it with to be like, to be uni- united by a core why, like a core sense of like, no, we do this because we believe in accountability. Um, mm-hmm. We believe in integrity. We believe in being able to use the scientific method and use data to help guide us because we don't believe in just making decisions based on gut. Um, so I guess we, if we get really clear on what those values are and like maybe our team charter and then that makes it easier and you go to work being like, no, nah, I'm part of like a crew of people who are kind of my people. Yeah, that's so important. I feel like I couldn't, if I was to move ever, like from precision, that would be the main thing for me, the culture, because culture is so good. The people, like, it's so hard to find as well. Got to make the right call. Otherwise, it just jeopardizes everything, like core pillars, your health, your happiness, your, like, finances, like, you know, just everything, like. Everything, everything. And um, actually, in my early career, my first ever job, I worked for an agency, it's probably a whole other topic, but you're either clearly like an agency person or a corporate side person. Um, But I worked for an agency where, yeah, I got poached by another massive corporate 
I was like, okay, like full, like it was the ego that got me. I was like big title, like big enterprise. I'm definitely going to make this move. And I could not have regretted it more because you don't know what you don't know. Like when you're in, Mm -hmm. I was in that organization and I loved the culture there, but I didn't know what I, what, how good it was. And so I left and that's my biggest fear. Honestly, that would be my biggest fear as a leader at the Lumery, which is like, I try my best to create this like really psychologically safe environment. The whole organization does. It's not just me. It's like, we're very big on all of that. We have um, a doctor of like organizational development, which is our like, she is our high performance coach and she's employed at the executive level to make sure that like, hey, you guys have to like armor up and go in and have big conversations with people that are really scary sometimes. Here's how to do that and not think. Make sure you eat beforehand. Yeah. I know. I needed her. What about like the translate word? That's the one thing we haven't fully touched on, but you've mentioned it loads. Like that's an art and a skill in itself to being able to translate, be that conduit between business, technical, make sense of data and actually drive change especially with executives and then obviously on the other side people who like to actually just be coding that's just their passion and forte how is that like I don't know how is it how do you do that like properly and well great question um I had a workshop last week in Sydney that I yeah flew up for had like an hour and a half to connect a group of like three different groups of um professionals underneath one one team member like around experimentation and I know that like the what we were trying to get out of that room or like out of that session and that time together was giving them these analysts the language to make other people that they're talking to interested in the reports that they're constructing because they are constructing these reports, but they're just, and they, they're actually doing everything right. Like I couldn't, there was nothing, no smoking gun of like a different analytics methodology that we could have applied um, to get the outcome, which meant it was all about translation. It was kind of the only challenge there. And um, I actually probably spent more time preparing for that, thinking about not just analogies, but like then how I could tie those analogies to actual genuine stories of things that occurred in my life, because I've learned that the thing that resonates with people is um, it's that kind of storytelling component. And you mentioned earlier on that, like, yeah, the, the marketing kind of, I guess, background or that level of experience is probably something I didn't realize was so important in an analytics context. But yeah, we were talking about um, the minimum detectable effect and how you can determine the minimum detectable effect in the context of an experiment to know how long to run it for. And um, yeah, we were sort of, I was like sharing about how I just got, went to Norway for like my white Christmas. And obviously it's really easy to like go from one like positive 20 degrees. I actually feel like it's a lot hotter today um, into <laughs> like a negative um, 20 degree environment um, and easy, obviously, for us to clearly determine need a clothing change. But like in the context of like those individual days, it changing in such a small variance. It's not that like it's not significant. It could be degrees worth of change. But like my ability to detect that on my skin, very very difficult and I have to go and actually invest in additional tools I have to go and invest in thermometer so like Mm -hmm. the context back to their clients was like the stakeholders that they were dealing with sorry is more like there's a cost on insight what is the ROI on insight and do you want us to go there or could you use this sample size calculator or could we be engaged with you prior and that would actually help um, limit the cost and the time that would otherwise have to be spent with you going out 
fussing around, finding a thermometer, doing the thing, because that is frustrating and that is time to pay back and time to return on the outcome that we're trying to get. So we're not trying to be frustrating to you. We're trying to like make it a lot easier so that then that cost isn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like it's those moments of like, oh, all of a sudden you turn it into a story that's less about um, it's because I said so, which is sometimes how data can appear. It's like it should mm-hmm. hit this level. Yeah, but why? Like why is that important? Why do we care about there being significance or not being significant? Um, and I don't know, I guess trying to – anyone can do that. I really believe that anyone has the ability to do that. It just like takes a little bit of um, maybe imagination and thinking it through or chatting with friends and kind of coming up with a story that um, explains the same concept in a totally different way. I feel like that um uh it's got to be relatable like you said and you can't just be like I know what you mean by that I I that because the data says so like you kind of just can't lean on that because everyone always wants to know why they always need an, like an interpretation of what's going on and um in order for them to feel like okay cool it's the right decision um so that's probably the piece I feel like the golden nugget is you can't just sit on the data and say it's because I said so it's actually you need to create something that is going to make create meaning for others and obviously for the the audience that you're dealing with you know yeah and I think it's almost like um I don't know my dad always says I think he got it from like (laughs) Dr Phil or something um in the context of like his marriage with my mom he's always like do you want to be right or do you want to be happy and I feel like analysts sometimes and um data professionals often because we are surrounded by tooling that helps us to feel like we're right Mm -hmm. we feel like we can stop there but the truth is if there's no return on investment for your insight that you just spent countless hours finding a solution for if no one cares (laughs) yeah so true (laughs) like what was the point um so yeah i actually feel like it's it is that underrated skill but i'll die on the hill that um it's absolutely a key component of the investment that's made. For sure. I feel like that um, <laughs> want to be happy or be right is really stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> Apply to, like, relationships. <laughs> do you want to be right all the time or do you just want to be happy? Like, let it go. Come on. <laughs> totally, totally. And I guess, yeah, analysts always go, it's black and white. It's here. What do you mean? That's significant. Why would you not choose this decision? And we go, well, then why do people consistently ignore data? So, like, we know that they do. So we just have to, like, walk through their door sometimes, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pick your battles. Pick your battles. Um, oh, good. Well, I feel like it's um, it's been a journey. It's obviously going to be a bigger journey because it sounds like you're going to be potentially building out the team. So, like, You've had a lot of like, um, I suppose you've got an indirect sell this whole podcast because I feel like you've just described how your team is and like the, the business and the sort of model and what you foster as a leader. So was there anything else that you feel like um, people in the market, if they're looking at the Lumery, would like to get excited by? Maybe it's projects, maybe it's like something that you've got coming up that you could sort of highlight before we end? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the thing that we're really gearing up to do a lot more of and the conversations that we're having with um, our clients at the moment are really around replatforming to enable scale. So there's a lot of talk about AI, obviously, um, but knowing that you have the right technology to enable 
a lot of those um I guess a lot of those initiatives is really key. And I think we're seeing a lot of people, a lot of our clients having had like business case or after now, like the AI kind of boom um, happened and everyone was like, cool, what's the shiny thing syndrome, right? Like what's the cool shiny thing that we can do that's going to show that like we've got competitive advantage and like we're doing something really incredible here and doing something really innovative. But what that is inevitably kind of coming back to is actually, and I might, it might sound boring, but like it's really foundational and quite, um, I think fulfilling work to be able to go, how is your data infrastructure set out to support that type of scale um, and at what levels? So um, like what use cases could you feasibly enable? At what point would you need to replace it? Um, and then also just getting the foundations right around like lineage, like we're doing a lot of work into um, supporting our clients get across and, and really effectively embed dbt. Um, what are they using for their semantics layer and the way that they um, create taxonomy so that they can enable at scale their enterprises to use the same data and to know that sales means sales no matter who you're talking to around the organization. <laughs> um, seems like simple stuff, but I think the reason I find it really fulfilling and I know like the team members um, in, in my team that work a lot on these projects find it fulfilling is that um, it enables everything else. Everything else can happen mm -hmm. as a result of that work. And that feels like something pretty special to be a part of. Um, it's also like not everybody has all the answers. So there's a lot of like uh, tricky decisions that all kind of happen in the gray somewhere and somebody's gonna have to make a call and we make the best educated call that we can and lean into our relationships with the vendors, our relationship with the, the teams and um, to, to, yeah, to make those decisions and roadmap it and, uh, follow them with a plan and then hopefully once um, a lot of infrastructure is sort of set up then mm -hmm. innovations can kind of come um, at, a, at a greater greater speed after that. That people need to what you just said there about the foundations like people need to get excited about getting things right the first or well, not right but like close enough to right to be able to enable the rest like you said the shiny um what was it shiny tool syndrome? Yeah. Or something yeah. Syndrome, yeah. Thing, yeah yeah like it's always it's all well and good being able to build like a beautiful algorithm or some fancy model but actually if you don't have all the right things in place like your work's going to go nowhere anyway so you may as well be part of the build <laughs> oh my god i actually was on like i just came up in my reddit feed um on the weekend for in like the data science community there was someone that was like asking for resume tips on like how to like best format the resume and they were taking on side projects of you know wanting to do some new interesting models and some work with um kind of the open source gen ai tools and stuff and um one of the comments that was upvoted that i continued to upvote was like this is all well and good but the resumes that really stand out are the ones that can then articulate what business impact that had so is it it's one thing to say that you've got the skills to build this but to be able to to do something that is actually quite simple it could be like a predictive model to like identify the highest or least value customers or like mm -hmm. you know potential which are, like those are the things that you go you know we we otherwise would have left like to mill on the table and we were able to drive this outcome, which then allowed us to invest more into that infrastructure and to get closer. So um, yeah, it's less about, I don't know, for me, it's less about the shiny things. It's more about the like, do the, like get the foundation sorted. Um, yeah. And to enable everybody else to do fun things too, because you want them to as well on their side. Yeah, exactly. If you've got that kind of uh, group mindset, then like, God, everyone would be able to, elevate together rather than one take off more than the other or whatever you know 
hundred percent. I mean, it's all about team. I did see that um, you often ask about the the best data joke. Yes. I don't. So I saw something on TikTok a while ago. Um, There was this guy who like came up with um, this hilarious like little skit around um, how whenever you show Excel a date. I'm going to give it to you so you can put it in the show notes. Whenever you like show Excel, like here's a number with a decimal point. He's like, is this a date? And he's like, no, that's a decimal point. And he's like, don't worry, I'll fix it for you. Here's the date. And it's like, it makes no sense. Every time, every time there's like an incorrect date format, it's just like, it's the bane of every data person's existence. But it will never be solved. That was such a data nerd joke. Like. Well, thanks, Kate. It was great to chat to you. Had a good conversation there, I thought, and a good few nuggets for the for the audience, I suppose. So, um, yeah, thanks for having or taking the time, I suppose. Thank you. No problem. Thanks so much for the chat. Really appreciate it, guys.